Hey, Press Gallery listeners, this is your host, Provincial Affairs reporter for the Edmonton Journal, Emma Graney, with another quick reminder to subscribe. Uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, wherever else you're having a podcast. I'm not the boss of you. You do you. You find where you want a podcast and you do that. Um, you can always reach out to me with any questions, comments, or concerns, or photos of your dogs, cats. You know, I will take unsolicited dog pics for sure. Egraney at postmedia.com is my email, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Hopefully, we make sense. We're all pretty exhausted, but enjoy this week's episode. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, provincial affairs reporter, Emma Graney. It is Thursday, April 18, 2019. I nearly said Friday because out of habit, this is the thank God it's finally over election edition. Very apt title. <laughs> I like to go with real, you know, I went for, with feelings from the heart. I've got around the table with me today, my fellow legislative reporter, Claire Clancy. How are you, mate? I'm great. It is finally over. Thank God. Yes. Yes. Sarah O'Donnell, our, our wonderful boss. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. All elections are 28 days here in Canada and Alberta, but some 28 days do feel longer than others. Very true. Yeah. Time warps are a thing. Yes. I've decided. <laughs> And political columnist Keith Durine, how are you? Is there such a thing as election rehab? Is that a thing? <laughs> Can we invent it? <laughs> you start it and we'll all book okay. ourselves right in. <laughs> That's true. What what does it consist of? Is that to nap in? Booze? <laughs> so today we are obviously going to be talking about the election. Now we did do a very quick and dirty podcast tonight of the election. Um, Mia a couple of hours after the whole thing had wrapped up, basically, or was still in the process of wrapping up. So we've had a little bit of time to think and also sleep, which was uh, useful. Um, So we're going to take a look at some of the results, maybe who might be in cabinet and what we can expect from uh, the first days of a UCP government. And we'll also talk about um, the April 30 swearing in and who we expect. uh, I wonder if they'll have a band playing, you know? That would be nice, wouldn't it? I mean, that's the most pertinent question, I think. That's the biggest political question facing Alberta right now. It was quite the party for the NDP swearing in four years ago, so it'll be interesting to see what what kind of a festive mood is on the legislature grounds this time. Free ice cream last time. There was free ice cream last time. UCP. Step it up. Jason Kenney's got to top that somehow. (laughs) I don't know, ma'am. Will the finances be able to really extend a free ice cream for all? No, just ice cubes. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get going. April 30, that is when the UCP government will be uh, sworn in. Um, I was not here for the 2015 swearing in of the uh, the NDP government, um, but it sounded like it was quite a good time. There were families and it was a sunny day and everyone was really happy. Well, I guess not conservatives. They probably weren't happy at the time, were they? No, so are a lot we expect- of conservatives <laughs> in that crowd. <laughs> <laughs> so expecting something like that again, given that the province has kind of switched over and particularly given the fact that this election was really divisive. Like it was very nasty and it was kind of just mean, you know? Yeah, I don't think we quite know yet what the swearing-in day itself will look like. We're... Kenny yesterday was uh, there on the legislature grounds and held a press conference. 
kind of taking those day after questions from reporters mm-hmm. about what his first steps as government will be. I heard him, uh, heard you ask him the question about who will be in his cabinet, which he didn't quite bite on yet. But that doesn't mean we he can't didn't. idly speculate. He said, are you going to waste your question on that? Emma? I did. I did hear that. I did hear that. And uh, and you said yes, and I appreciated that. So, um, but I mean, and Claire and Claire and Keith can and, and you can talk more about exactly what he was talking about in terms of priorities yesterday. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we also know that we're going to have a legislative session start third week of May. So things are going to move really quickly. Uh, it's it's Thursday and today, uh, Notley and Kenny are actually meeting for the transition of power. Um, then, as we've mentioned, April 30th, 30th will be cabinet swearing in. And I think, yeah, we'll see uh, promises being followed through on, including repealing the carbon tax right away, um, the Open for Business Act, and then um, kind of a, a kind of a slow rollout of these pieces of legislation, really that will repeal uh, many of the NDP policies that were put in place. Um, yeah, I, I read the kind of platform coverage we did because there there is a lot to come, and Kenny was very. Um, firm about the 117-page kind of plan that he has for the province. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, repealing the carbon tax right. is going to be the first thing. And also... That's bill one is repeal the carbon tax. Bill right. two is the Open for Business Act. Right. And then, borrowing a line from Doug Ford there. And we'll also do the pro- proclamation of the turning off the taps legislation. Correct. And I think so yesterday, I guess, one of the themes of the press conference was Kenny um, extending an olive branch, you could say, to fellow premiers. There's this back and forth going on with uh, Quebec Premier Francois Legault, where, uh, you know, he has said that Quebec will not accept uh, an additional oil pipeline through the province, but they would consider a gas pipeline. Uh, Kenny has said, you know, we'll start on the diplomatic path, uh, but is clear that Alberta will show their consequences. And then He's also poised to potentially get into a battle with BC Premier John Horgan, mm. who has been stonewalling the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline in whatever way he can. And then there's also Kenny's contentious relationship with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So a theme yesterday was really <laughs> uh, extending those initial olive branches to other leaders. He, on those initial days, they were all they're all calling to congratulate, as you know, one right. does in a proper, respectful way among among leaders. And then I think it'll be a question of is it days? Or weeks? How long does that relationship last? How quickly do before we go from Me a minute, Sarah, <laughs> to stick? Right? Exactly. Yeah, that olive branch she extended was a pretty short olive branch. <laughs> it was a twig, really. There was not a lot to it. Not a lot of substance. I'm not even sure a bird could perch on it. But uh, um, so. That's just really tickled out, Fancy. I'm sorry. I think it's because we're so tired, but I find it particularly hilarious today. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There's some brownies left over from election night. I'm not sure what was in them, but if you had an extra one this morning, maybe that's uh, that's what's going on here. No, I started my diet Uh, Anyway, back to my point. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, his election night speech was kind of strangely angry. Yeah, it was. And he, he had some messages for the rest of Canada, and particularly... Uh, the Prime Minister, BC, Quebec. Uh, so his tone on uh, the day after the election was a, a little nicer, uh, and it sounds like he actually had some conversations with with those folks that, that maybe uh, ratcheted down the rhetoric a bit. But Kenny knows this election is not just about fixing the, uh, the Alberta economy. This is really about sending a message to the rest of Canada. That is, all, I think, in, in many cases, why Albertans voted for the United Conservative Party. 
really who really best kind of resonated Albertans' anger uh, at at their opponents at, at preventing uh, pipelines from happening around the country at equalization and, and a whole list of other grievances. So Kenny's not going to abandon that. He knows where uh, his bread is buttered, so to speak. He knows what Albertans expect of him. That he is going to have to be very very tough with the rest of the country. And so you know his his attitude is, I'll give them a chance, but. I think he's also realistic that they're probably not going to bite on that chance, and so he's going to have to get he's going to have to get aggressive with them. And he did say yesterday that when he spoke to Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, um, they both acknowledged that the timing was challenging. Was the mm-hmm. word he said? Yeah. Because there's a federal October election coming. Yeah. One of the other things that Kenny re- said yesterday as well, and Keith, further to your point about his victory speech, which. I said I reflected on this a little bit um, on election night itself, but his victory speech was weirdly non-victorious. Like it was, it was basically like a kind, kind of like a montage of all of his campaign speeches smushed together with a couple of extra lines in there about hey, if you didn't vote for 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 us for the UCP, we're still going to listen to you. We're still going to do our thing. And another thing he said yesterday was, even though Edmonton stayed very much an orange zone. He made a point of saying that he's going to uh, listen to the people of Edmonton and Edmonton will not be forgotten. So I'm interested to see how that uh, how that eventuates. And he also said that he wants to make sure his cabinet reflects all regions of Alberta, yeah. despite the fact that yeah didn't win Edmonton seats. And notably missing will be Len Rhodes, who was the star appointed candidate right. um, that uh, that Kenny appointed in Edmonton Meadows. Yeah, he parachuted him in. And yeah, I think that that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Kenny was asked about that yesterday and he said, um, yeah, Len Rhodes would have been would have made a brilliant MLA, but obviously they respect the voters decision. Wouldn't surprise me to see Len Rhodes offered some kind of job in the new government, if, assuming Len Rhodes would like such a job. Um, mm. But uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I, I mean, it was it was good words from Kenny to say he will try to uh, try to reach out to the capital region and listen. Mm. Uh, I don't know how serious he is on that, though. Uh, how much he can be serious about that? I think he is committed to a particular course of action. And uh, if uh, Edmonton wants to come along for the ride, great. If they don't, <laughs> I'm not sure that that's going to change anything. One of the things I'll be interested to know is whether, uh, I, I don't know if you, we can ask him today, if uh, when Kenny was talking to Trudeau yesterday, if they happened to talk about the fact that Ottawa's decision on the Trans Mountain yeah. pipeline and moving forward is going to be pushed yet again, um, this time to June 18th. Mm-hmm. We had expected some kind of decision as of May 22nd, but uh, the energy minister, Amarjeet Sohi, uh, is now saying that they need more time to do further consultations with Indigenous communities. So I know that on the campaign trail, Notley was saying, we're going to have that decision in May, we're expecting a good decision, and now that decision is not going to be until June. Um, so... And I think, yeah, something something that is, yeah, you know, another either they're pushing it down or I don't know if that's good news or bad news for the well, pipeline. I'm just not sure. And I think what's crazy about it is that, yeah, this is day two of, you know, after Kenny's elected and the Trans Mountain Pipeline already is going to be the issue that in the, in the fall, will shovels be in the ground? That's going to be so yeah, they, important. They may miss a construction season out of this. A lot of us were wondering during the election why Trudeau did not throw Notley a bone and, and, and help her out some ways. Turns out he probably did by not announcing this during yeah. the campaign, yeah, that there was going to be a delay further, a further delay. But yeah. then the federal environment minister has also confirmed that, yeah, for sure, if you rip up the carbon tax, hello, you get the federal carbon tax straight away. So mm-hmm. yep. that's something else that Albertans can look forward to is having a different carbon tax plan in place. <laughs> 
Yes, I think we're sensing a theme that relations with Ottawa are going to be uh, on the mind of Jason Kenney and on the mind of Albertans for a while to come. In some ways, you have to. Un- I think it's understandable, maybe, that Jason Kenney was still in campaign mode on election night. I mean, he's a guy who's been campaigning for one thing or another for the past three years. And we're not that far away from a federal election. And I don't, this isn't going to be a federal election where the provincial premier sits on the sidelines. I think we can already tell that he's going to be out there um, talking up the federal conservative party. So he maybe he's just, he might still just be in that ongoing campaign mode, campaigning for his team. But it, it was kind of odd though, because I've I've covered a few a good chunk of elections. The last time that I was in a winning election victory speech was Brad Wall in um in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and it was a completely different vibe. I mean, yes, it was Swift Current, and yes, it was Brad Wall, but it was just it was different. It felt different in the room. It, it felt like. There it just felt like, hooray, Brad's the premier again. Whee! Um, this felt like, yeah, screw those other guys. And yes, there was a celebration, absolutely, but there was an undercurrent of unhappiness. And you you, you heard that when, for example, Justin Trudeau came on the big screen talking about something. I don't know what he was talking about because they were booing so loudly and hissing so loudly I couldn't actually hear it. And when um, David Kahn got up and he did his concession speech, everyone in the room was booing. And when when he said something like, you know, I, I hope that Jason Kenney um, does something about these, basically these bozo eruptions in his party and these bigoted views, he just got booed. And when he got booed again, when he said something along the lines of, I hope he's an inclusive premier, that got a boo. When Rachel Notley wow. said, our kids are now breathing cleaner air, that got a boo. So it's so strange to me. That kind of me. hostility is on election night is a it's bit strange. concerning, maybe. It's really, really weird. I've never experienced anything like that before. And I do I do wonder where that's going to lead Alberta. Jason Markusoff had an interesting piece in McLean's, uh, his profile of Kenny, it, it, that said his voter base, what he found was they were fueled by revenge, that this was very mm-hmm. much, uh, we're going to get you election, uh, uh, fueled by anger, fueled by revenge. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. It's a really difficult way to govern. So uh, Jason Kenney's got a challenge on his hand. Especially once you've already won. Like exactly. who do you have to get revenge yeah. on then except for Justin Trudeau, right? And it was interesting too because then Kenny got up and did his did his victory speech. And yes, it was, it was bits of campaign and, and whatnot. But the bits that weren't campaign were, oh, another bit he said was, you know, I want to thank Rachel Notley. And the room just kind of went quiet. Like if he hadn't been in there, I feel like he was the dad in the room in a way, you know, because everyone just kind of quietly sat there. And then when he said, I want to thank her, we don't agree. I mean, I know you had best interests at heart, but I, you, we just have different ideological approaches. And he's like, let's have a round of applause for the for Rachel Notley. And it was, there was applause. There was definitely applause. It wasn't cheering as you might expect, but yeah. And then he thanked um, all of the other leaders as well, Mandel and Khan. And then finally Khan got an applause, but it took Jason Kenney to say, guys, democracy is super important. Thank you to everyone who ran. Thank you to the NDP who did what they thought was best, even though we completely disagree. And then people were like begrudgingly kind of, you know, applauding. And it was it was strange. I think he's going to have to really work hard to continue to set that tone and send that message, right? To talk about the idea that you can disagree with people on opinion, on policy and all that kind of thing. But that that idea that he's talked about over and over again himself, that need to bring to bring respect to the room and to the legislature, he's going to have to 
emulate that. And well, I think he's going to have to do key. more than that. He's going to have to do it himself, but he's also going to have to ensure some discipline in his government and among his supporters, or at least the, the supporters who work for him, that they emulate that as well. Because we've seen from some of his operatives in the past that they haven't reflected that kind of uh, that kind of tone. So now that the election's over, hopefully everyone will simmer down, uh, take a more diplomatic approach to things, uh, while still harnessing a lot of that anger and a lot of that resentment that Albertans have that directing it, hopefully, in a more productive way, but difficult. And what's going to be interesting, too, is um, in May, we're going to see Notley opposite Kenny in the legislature mm-hmm. as le- as leader of the opposition, presumably because she has said she'll stay on um, and she is the star of the NDP. So I think that's going to be a really interesting dynamic as well for us to to watch and how the NDP act as opposition. They do. It's a two party legislature. They do have experienced people um, so they can create a formidable opposition. Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to speculate a little bit because speculation is fun. Hooray. It yeah, is. we don't get to do it that much. No, we so. don't. <laughs> Who do we think is going to be in the cabinet? I'm going to pick Sonia Savage. In, um, she's down in Calgary. She's worked in the energy industry for like 15 years or something. Pipelines 13 specifically, years, yeah. Specifically in pipelines. So there might be a bit of a chance that she could be the energy minister. Our colleague, uh, Megan Potkins, shout out to her down in Calgary. She and I were both at the UCP headquarters on a election night. I was always I was almost going to say Friday night. The election was not on Friday night, Emma. It was Tuesday. Um, so she actually went and had a chat with um, Ms. Savage who kind of said and said, hey, well, you might be energy minister. And, and she went, oh, well, maybe. No, I'm not even going to go there. Just going to concentrate on cleaning out my office and getting rid of all these signs. But whatever role I'm given, I will take. But there, I think there's a good chance there. Devin Dreeshan, um down in Red Deer, he, he He's in Innisfail. No, Innisfail, so I'm like, oh my gosh, Emma, 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 Emma. So Devon Drishan, of course, accompanied Kenny and uh, Prasad Panda over to India and uh, I think there's a chance he'll be the trade minister given that that seems to be the file that he was being primed for when he was in opposition. Keith, any more ideas? Yeah, I think the name uh, Doug Schweitzer is going to be on yep. in cabinet uh, lawyer down in Calgary. People will remember him as uh, one of Jason Kenney's opponents in the UCP leadership race about yeah. 18 months ago. He's uh, quite liked too. Yes, he, he is fairly well liked. He is seen as a bit more of a social moderate than some of those in the party. So uh, a justice minister, potentially, uh, some people have even suggested finance minister, uh, possibly for Doug Schweitzer, but probably some uh, fairly uh, substantial portfolio. Uh, another guy that maybe people don't know uh, is a uh, Travis Taves. Uh, that's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, yeah, Travis Taves up in Grand Prairie. Uh, he's a former uh, president of the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. He's an accountant, runs a, uh, a business as well. Uh, so you could see him as an ag minister, potentially a finance minister as well. But he, he I suspect, will be in cabinet as and, well. And the high-profile um, UCPers who are in opposition, who yep. I think will get cabinet positions, are Leela here, yep. um, maybe children's services or women's services, um, potentially, or status of women if that isn't a ministry, who knows. Um, and uh, we'll also see... Um, uh, Jason Nixon, obviously, uh, potentially Mike Ellis, uh, who, who was a former police officer. Yeah, there's a chance could, of that. Yeah, he's been – Angela Pitt has been very involved in the children's services file. She was part of right. the – Intervention yeah, was, panel. Yeah, she was yeah. part of the child intervention panel that came about after the death of Serenity. So um, I'm interested to see what happens yeah. there. We know who won't be in Cabinet. 
Mark Smith. <laughs> and probably Peter Singh as well. <laughs> well yeah, at this we'll point. see. So Kenny will also try to get, I, I think, as many women as possible into cabinet. And there's a, there's a few good ones down in Calgary. Tanya Furr is a possibility. Uh, Rebecca Schultz is a possibility maybe for the education file. Um, there's a, a woman named uh, Adriana Lagrange in uh, Red Deer who has some education experience as well that she could maybe find her way into cabinet at a certain point. The real problem for Kenny is Edmonton, right? Because at this point, we're aware that Casey Madu probably has won a seat in Edmonton Southwest. He might be the only one. Uh, he might be the only UCP MLA from Edmonton proper. So is he ready to take on a ministry? I don't know about that. The UCP is hoping that after all the advance votes are counted, that uh, 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 Nicole Williams in uh, Edmonton West Henday may actually win that seat. And in that case, she would probably be a good bet for cabinet. She's super switched on and she's been involved in politics for years and years and years and kind of understands like how it all works. I That's be right. She's had that. some experience in private and, and the public sector. Yeah. But failing that, I think Edmonton's going to have to be represented from somebody in the region. And so the, the person that's most likely to get that job is Searle Turton. Remember that name, Searle Turton. He's a three-term municipal councillor from Spruce Grove. So you could see him potentially taking on municipal affairs. Uh, that may help placate Edmonton a little bit and making sure it has a voice around the cabinet table. But there aren't a lot of choices there for Kenny, and that is an issue for him. And we already know there are going to be a few associate ministers. We know there's going to be an associate minister to cut red tape and an associate minister on immigration. Um, So I think we're going to see a pretty big cabinet, I'd assume. Yeah, that's one thing I was wondering. I was thinking about last night is how just how how large will the cabinet be? Harking back to something you said, Keith, about Peter Singh not being in cabinet. Super quick update there. Uh, The latest out of um, Calgary. You might remember that Thursday night last week. Oh my God. Yeah, a week ago. It feels so long ago. It does feel like long ago. The RCMP searched the business belonging to Peter Singh, who was the Calgary East candidate. He has since won his seat because the party at that point was like, we heard it was about his son. We don't know anything. We don't. And I asked Jason Kenny. I had to literally run after Jason Kenny and leap over a hedge. But eventually I did get him to say, we don't know anything about what's going on. And yes, he's still our candidate. We support him. That was on Sunday. So, and on Tuesday, election day, Peter Singh's lawyer came out and said, yeah, that was totally connected to the UCP leadership race and alleged voter fraud. And it was like- But my client is innocent. But my client is innocent and has done absolutely nothing wrong. Yes. It was a strange thing to do on election day. So strange. I don't know what was happening. That was so weird. So I asked Jason Kenny about it yesterday, like, hey, Peter Singh got elected. What's up with that? And Kenny's response was, He's a guy that got elected. And that was basically what he said. And I started making this kind of noise. I started laughing. And then he kind of expanded on his answer a bit saying, well, you know what? We know what this is about. We're not aware of any charges. And the first day of his, you know, day one after the election, hey, what's up with that uh, now MLA or soon to be MLA who um, got his business raided by the RCMP? <laughs> and that's the thing is those stories aren't going away. Those no. are stories that everyone's going to be following up on. The accusations about what happened during the leadership race are mm-hmm. still relevant. They're still important. And uh, yeah, th- that's it's going to keep going. It is. I mean, that answer from Jason Kenney, for a man who does not love brevity, um, he, uh, 
that was a very brief answer, which is a little little telling. But yeah, I mean, here we are discussing uh, Jason Kenney, uh, um, you know, potentially putting together a cabinet, the bills he's going to introduce, the day that cabinet is going to be sworn in, his transition with Notley. And meanwhile, in the background, there's this RCMP investigation going on, election commissioner investigation into the UCP leadership race. There is some some significant evidence out there unveiled by CBC and others that there were uh, there was some voter fraud, alleged voter fraud going on during that campaign. Uh, where shenanigans. That's, shenanigans, where that's going to lead, you know, is that going to get Kenny in trouble before he even has a chance to sit down and, and host his first question period? I don't know. I'm really interested to see whether or not they keep the election commission's office around. Now, you might remember that the UCP when in opposition were not particularly supportive of the creation of the election commission office. So it, they, they weren't super supportive of it. What they really hated was the fact that the NDP appointed Lorne Gibson. He was the chief electoral officer under the previous progressive, uh, progressive conservative government for for a while and then he did not like a lot of what they did. He was very critical of them and they did not renew his contract so then he just tried to sue them. Um, so there's no love loss between conservatives and Lorne Gibson. But on the other hand, if the UCP or Jason Kenney were to turn around and just dissolve the election commissioner office while they're in the process of looking into the UCP leadership race, that would look terrible. It really would. It would look very bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and doing that, I'm not sure. I mean, there's often a precedent, though, that the these investigations go by the rules that were in place at the time that they exist, at the, at the time that the events occurred. So uh, it could... Sure. It, it could be a pointless exercise to dissolve that. So The other thing that I think was interesting, I didn't get a chance to get into my column today. Uh, we looked at uh, you know p- the potential makeup of the UCP cabinet. I'm curious to see what the NDP is going to do in terms of their, their critic portfolios. Uh, so they've got... Yeah. The makings of a very formidable opposition, right? 23, 24, 25 MLAs, we're not entirely sure yet. Close to a dozen cabinet ministers returning. And of course, the the, the premier, soon to be former premier herself. So that that is a wealth of experience there that they're going to be able to, to come at the UCP with. My question is going to be how they structure those critic roles. So Sarah Hoffman, for example, the health minister, will she be the health critic, right? Is that a good idea? She can come at the, the UCP health minister, uh, with a lot of information, but it also gives the UCP to come back at her right away in, during question period, right? So that kind of back and forth, I don't know that that's to the to the NDP's advantage. We'll see how they decide to do that, but they've got some questions themselves on how they structure their roles. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. That's really interesting because, yeah, if you're if, if you're the critic for the job that you just did, you can be like, well, no, I know you know that because I here's all the reports. It was part of the transition binders we handed over to you, right? Like you can do that, but then they can say, yeah, but you failed and X, Y, Z and you overspent. and Yeah, and it yeah. would be like it would be weird to see almost like David Agan as education critic, Sarah Hoffman weird? as Weird, also super interesting. Yeah. I kind of I, want, I, I to- want that to happen, but yeah, we'll have to see. <laughs> see, but then you run the risk of the UC Every time they ask a question, goes, "Oh well, yeah, but look what you did." Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And then, and then the NDP going, "Yeah, but look what you're doing with it. Yeah, but you look what you're doing." Like that's, I just can see that becoming that kind of back and forth. I also think session's going to be interesting because we are used to in Alberta for the last few years a very split opposition where you had many, many parties getting to ask the questions and they had to divide the time. So you'd have, you know, when when we first started 2015, it was the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservatives and the Alberta Party mm-hmm. and the Liberals all got different. And so they had to divide that. But it's just going to be the NDP now getting to ask question after question after question. And 
that means you can strategically play question period in a very different way. You can keep up a momentum that you can't keep up if you're having to then share your questions with the liberal or the independent. You know, of course, you know, legislatures can change. We've seen that also where, you know, people end up being cast out into the back into the independent benches. <laughs> um, but yeah, we as 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 Dave mentioned when you guys recorded on Thursday night, we haven't seen a two party legislature since ninety three. So that's gonna be kind of fun yeah. if you're into that nerdy kind of stuff. Which we are. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening to this podcast, there is a chance that you are too. <laughs> Let's move over to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read or seen or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy. Claire Clancy, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I'm going to just suggest that people watch this uh, zombie apocalypse show on Netflix called Black Summer, which, <laughs> which in no way reflects on political opinion in any way. No, it doesn't. It reflects on the fact that we don't want to digest anything meaningful. Honestly, I, like, I cannot suggest anything other than like trash television. This isn't trash <laughs> television. It's actually pretty well done. I'm a huge fan of zombie genre and post-apocalyptic genre of things. Um, so take a watch. It's fun. I binged it at some point. Um, <laughs> at some point during the election campaign. <laughs> 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 zombie fun facts. <laughs> yes. Claire Clancy. Sarah, yes. what have you got for us, mate? Okay. Well, so this week, uh, the Pulitzer Prize Committee released its list of winners for a variety of topics. There's always so much good journalism and writing and, and arts things in there to pick through. I want to recommend um, columns by Tony Messenger. He's an amazing columnist who I've had the privilege of hearing talk at a journalism conference a few years ago. So the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, a, a really good Midwestern American newspaper that it's worth paying attention to. It doesn't always get as much attention as it deserves. Anyways, here's what the Pulitzer Committee said about his work. He won for bold columns that expose the malfeasance and injustice of forcing poor rural Missourians charged with misdemeanors to pay unaffordable fines or be sent to jail. And they're just it's a series of about eight or nine columns. They're really, really good and really strong. And if you want to read persuasive column writing, besides the stuff, of course, that's in the journal every day, um, I think that's a very fine place to go. I'm going to recommend a piece that I'm going to, I will admit right now, I have not read the full way through because I started reading and then had to go to a press conference. So, but I did learn a bit in the first three paragraphs that I got through and it certainly has promise. It's called The Anarchists Who Took the Commuter Train. It's super great. It's on long reads right now. Um, it's out of. It's about the Stelton Colony, which was a. It was a suburb of New York, and the residents were anarchists, and about their term and what they did. And I didn't. I didn't realize like the anarchist movement was actually quite strong up there in the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds. But it also gives you a bit of a read about how it's different from how we perceive anarchism to be. So yeah, it was. I'm sure it's going to be great. I'm super pumped to read the rest of it. <laughs> and if it's terrible, don't blame me. I haven't read the whole thing yet. Um, you can you can take it back next week if you need to. Yes. Ew, once I finish it. <laughs> if it takes a weird turn. <laughs> Keith, mate, what do you got for us? Yeah, Tristan Hopper has a ripper of a story. Is that a word? Ripper of a story? Yeah. In Australia, it definitely is. So you're okay. welcome to use it. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, Tristan Hopper's uh, piece is called uh, How Environmentalists Killed Rachel Notley's Government. It comes with a trademarked Tristan Hopper video in which he is in fine form. Uh, I don't need to tell you much about the piece. You can guess it from the headline. Um, it's well done. Quite funny. The studio in which uh, Tristan records those is right next to the podcast studio. And sometimes we come 
out of here and I can just hear this angry ranting voice and I'm like, what the <laughs> heck? Is- oh, it's Tristan. Okay, cool. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Claire Clancy, Sarah O'Donnell, Keith Durine, thank you so much for listening as well, dear listeners. And thank you to Albertans for voting. That was really the big thank you this week. We'll be back again this time next week with more Press Gallery.